Hello and welcome to Season 1 of Career Inspiration by VentureFizz. On this episode, Keith Klein is joined by Mike Hebert, Head of Talent Acquisition at edX. They discuss tips for hiring engineers, building an employment brand, and the importance of retention to your overall strategy. Hello and welcome to Season 1 of the VentureFizz Career Inspiration Podcast. I'm Keith Klein, the founder of VentureFizz and the host for today's show. As you know, VentureFizz is Boston's most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. For the first season of our podcast, we're speaking with some exceptionally talented leaders who head up HR and talent acquisition function at some of Boston's fastest growing companies. Today, I'm really excited to have Mike Hebert on our show. He is the head of talent acquisition at edX. Hello, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Keith. I'm going to have Mike walk us through his background, but... One of the things that I definitely want to highlight is his prior experience is uh, a little bit different than other people we've talked to uh, on this show. Uh, he has some serious credibility amongst the engineering crowd, being that he graduated with an MIS degree from RPI and actually wrote code. He started his own hardware and software support company before switching over to his current profession. So I would say that's pretty impressive. Uh, we'll have a lot to cover, especially when it comes to hiring engineers. So let's just uh, dive right in. Mike, if you could walk us through your background, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and thanks a lot for for having me. Really excited about this um, and big fan of Venture Fizz, as you know. Um, you. I can tell you a little bit about, about what I do and kind of how I got here. Um, and, and as most recruiters will tell you, uh, you know, you don't go to school to become a recruiter. It sort of comes to you and lands in your lap at some point or uh, you know you, you you think about your options and and you know a friend of a friend and all of a sudden you're in it um, and it, it kind of was the same for me um, you know I've been doing this for what 12 13 years now about um, and yeah I, I went to college for computer science I was writing code I came out of high school I knew it I was gonna go write code uh, games I was playing, I was intrigued by it. I got some coursework. That was the goal. Uh, got into RPI, went to the computer science program, got in about two years and said, holy cow, I'm not going to do this. This is not fun. I had done a fair amount of C and C++ and I, I, I really reached a point where I, I wasn't sure what to do. MIS was like a softer business version of it. I already had a couple years of math and programming under my belt. Um, and they kind of fast forward, it, tech has always been part of me. I've always kind of had that. I've had that kind of mentorship and the people around me um, that made tech interesting and cool. And so that's really where I've gravitated over the years. You know, when I first got out, I was writing code. Um, they were mostly scripts and cron jobs. I was doing support for John Hancock and other kinds of companies. Um, and, and there came a point there too, after six or seven years where I knew I had to get out and do something different because I couldn't see myself in that construct. Yet again, there I am again, second time, you know, in this 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 quest of who am I? Um, so uh, I ended up founding a business, and uh, I, that's where I learned to talk to people and to engage and to get point across and to sell to some degree. Um, I sold the company. There's a story in that. We'll probably do a whole other podcast if you ever wanted to. But um, <laughs> good good run, but a two year plan. Um, and when I sold it, I actually put my resume on monster.com and I was approached by a recruiter. I had very little experiences with recruiters up until this point. Mm -hmm. In fact, when he called me, um, he, he explained to me who he was and what he was doing. And I, I was confused by it. I was like, so 
So you're going to, he said, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you connected with the companies. And I said, well, why don't I, why don't I just connect with the companies? I don't, why, why, why do I need you to do that? And he said to me, um, well, I, I can, while you do work and you do your job or whatever it is you're doing, I'll do all this for you and I'll make the connections. And then it made sense. I said, oh, I get it. I understand how this works now. And he goes, I'm the expert in this domain. I can line it up. You tell me what you want and I can make it happen um, or try. And I thought that was interesting. So I ended up having a really poorly written resume. And the way that this all culminates is that um, he was working for an agency. He had me come into the office. We worked together for an hour on building a resume. Mine was very poor. But just by working with him in the room together and putting the appropriate bullet points in and, and thinking about strengths and accentuating that and putting structure around the physical nature of the resume, he looked at me and he goes, I'm not going to get you a job out in market. You're not going back to code. He goes, you're going to be a recruiter. <laughs> I said, you're out, I said, you're out of your mind. I, I, t I came back. I told my wife, I said, uh, I had the craziest call, uh, or craziest meeting today, you know, and, and, and this is kind of how it went. I explained to her the same story and she was like, well, maybe you should try it. She goes, you like to try different things. And so uh, that was what? Oh, four, oh five, I think. And I never turned back. Wow. Okay. Uh, and then you started out in agency, right? I did. Yeah. Did, uh, what, six or seven years in agency, did K-Force for a while. Uh, Anthony, who contacted me, was from there. Uh, had a good run. Uh, got a dose of my first recession and uh, also an opportunity to watch uh, the numbers dwindle in my company at the time. This is 0809. Dismal, yeah. dismal time to be in an agency. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, took a little break, a couple months off, ended up going to work. I met Ian over at uh, Winter Wyman. I he was great. And um, I said, you know, I'll do a little bit more agency, maybe see what this is all about. New York market was interesting. Venture capital money was flowing in in a way that Boston did not know yet. Okay. Um, since this is 09, roughly. Yeah. And, and so from there, um, I got a real, it was my first dose of what VC looked like and felt like um, mm -hmm. because we were embedded in it. Um, very different from the Boston enterprise scene that I was recruiting for in the previous four years. And that's where everything for me changed as far as branding and what I wanted to be a part of specifically. And then you eventually made the shift into the in-house world as starting at Wayfair, right? I did. You know, there, there came a point, you know, hired hundreds of people probably in agency. Um, and I, the re repetitive nature of it, I liked it. I, it's not a bad thing. Um, it, it taught me the discipline. It taught me the, uh, you know, the, 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 the skills for going out and, and time blocking and segmenting your day. It taught me how to close. It taught me all the pieces of, um, but it, it didn't teach me everything. And it also was apparent to me that I was essentially being paid to solve a problem and then go away. I mean, it was very clear that we, we were being paid to, to do something. It was a service. And once we delivered, that was it. And I've always been kind of uh, interested in businesses and functionality, organizational health. Um, and of course, like every recruiter out there frustrated when you're in the final round as an agency recruiter and your candidate, for some reason, looked like a slam dunk and something came up in a budget somewhere and they can't pull the trigger yeah. and make the hire. And I, I, I could not reconcile that in my latter agency days. And so I thought that I could be part of a business cycle. I could be part of the insights and all the things that are going on inside the company to increase efficiencies, to, to get rid of that waste, um, to know more about how the hire happens and 
um, maybe actually lend some business value other than here's the candidate and I close them for you, XYZ Corp. And Wayfair, obviously, a huge company now. What, how big were they back? Uh, Wayfair was the most exciting thing I, I saw. It reminded me of everything I saw in New York City, but at the time it was CSN stores. There were only a few hundred people there. I was going to ask um, you, they're still seeing yeah. yeah, and I think if I'm correct, I was probably the first full-time technical recruiter hired. I, you know, I interviewed with uh, Steve Conine and, uh, you know, it was, that was part of the interview process back then. And, um, walked into that office and the buzz, I was like, this is it. This reminds me of New York. I can feel the energy. I can feel the, that startup thing that I could not find in Boston, but you know, two years in New York and then there it was finally. So yeah, I, CSN stores became Wayfair soon thereafter. I was there for the conversion. It was so exciting. Um, and now it's 7,000 people internationally. It's nothing like the Wayfair's engineering was so small at the time that I sat with a handful of other recruiters and sourcers and administrators in engineering because they couldn't fill the entire floor. There were only, I think, 29 engineers at the time I joined. Wow. That is unbelievable. Over 500 now. <laughs> that is fascinating. Uh, and then, then you went to an earlier stage company at Localytics. That, uh, so what did they just raise money when you joined or? It did. You know, I, um, I wanted a little bit more because of the size of Wayfair at the time. I took a bet on Monster and actually went there for a little while. A few years at Monster, uh, I got global oversight. And there's some other things from a career perspective that that, that move did for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then and then that that was kind of, that might that might be it for me in the in the bigger company size for, for a little while. It certainly wasn't that moment because Localytics was the hottest thing in town. And um, I knew I wanted to be a part of it. I asked a bunch of people um, what was going on there. And then of course, the, the, the huge funding announcement happened and I was there for it. And, uh, you know, Greg and I did most of the hiring for Localytics and um, it was a rocket ride. It was awesome. I loved it. I loved being a part of it. Um, the energy every day, the free beer Fridays, the Kitar bear, it was so 2014 and 2015, it hurt. <laughs> That's awesome. Kitar Bear. Uh, and, and the way you broke it up, you were doing engineering and product and was Greg doing uh, sales? Yeah, yeah. sales. And, and yeah, absolutely. And um, we were just on the phone constantly. Uh, in fact, uh, we did as much as we could to affect process and try to, you know, get it set to scale. Um, but a lot of that work that I had done at Monster, um, which was very like process centric and building something that that was scalable and um, you know, we, we were moving so fast at Localytics that I, I could not get the opportunity to really implement everything I wanted to. Um, and so, um, you know, edX has been great because I've had that opportunity to actually holistically do it, not patchwork. And, um, you know, so it's been a fun build. It reminds me in some ways of building out the processes we built at Monster. Mm -hmm. well, let's do a deep dive into edX and uh, you know, being that you have this unique background coming from uh, more of a, a tech-oriented roles that you've held in the past, uh, you know, and carving out this niche of recruiting engineering and product talent, what's your secret? Yeah, I mean, it. it for me, there are a lot, you know, I get the feed, I, I know where the jobs are, and I, you know, I get a pretty good perspective in the people that I know. So I, I kind of know where it's at as far as opportunity, but it, 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 like, this is a personal comment for, for me and anyone else who's wondering like how to specialize. And, and, and I guess you have to be somewhat 
focused on what your own brand is. And for me, it's a consumer web, um, mobile, you know, pretty progressive tech stack type thing that I like to be a part of. And so that could change someday. It might, but for, for now, and at least the last, you know, six, seven years, um, you know, I've been focused in this particular tech vertical and I go and seek a new position. If it's time, I try to keep it within the sphere of, of this kind of work. I'm, I'm incredibly attracted to the velocity of venture capital backed companies and what that means for growth and energy. Um, edX is not venture backed, but everyone here is from it. And so we know how to move. There's that agile uh, delivery model, which speeds things up as well. And, and I guess my point is that um, look for it, find it, define it if you want to, and you can actually define yourself from you know a market standpoint. Because when you walk into one of these, you just kind of know where, how to move and how to navigate stakeholders, how to execute, what kind of process might be too heavy, what's too light, what kind of data should we capture? Are we even prepared for data capture? So I mean, hopefully that makes sense. And, and like, what, what advice would you give to companies that might be having a, a hard time or a challenging time hiring recruiters or hiring engineers, I should say? Yeah, I, the advice is that it's not going to get easier. Sorry. Um, there are no real tricks other than it is a long game uh, and a sustained attack. Uh, you know, if, if there's a few things to jot down, I would say that you are somewhat your success on hiring and engineering is somewhat defined by the product you're bringing to market. It's just kind of a fact. I, it's not a fair playing field. It's not as if all companies are created equal. Um, they are all different in different ways and they all appeal. We are in a different era now. This is, this is really interesting stuff because the companies are not as in much control as they were back in the day. Everyone kind of knows this, the, the talent war and the discussions around that, but it's become almost a buffet for the job, for the engineering class. They can kind of pick what they want from the buffet and in the terms of, you know, where they might go to, to, to work in on their next project. So, um, it's not going to be easy to answer your question directly. You are somewhat relegated and constrained by the product you're bringing to market, I would say, but there are some great companies he uh, here in town that are working on different kinds of products that may not be sexy, that have made an incredible effort on culture and promoting it. And you can see it and, and you can see them out in the market and they're hitting your feed and you just, you go to an event and there, there's a hundred people from their company with shirts on and it looks good and you get this vibe from that. Or they open up their office and bring you in and let you actually see what it's all about. And it's some of this non-technical stuff, it's people stuff that actually can give you the edge you give a little view into the humanity and the, and the fun and the, and, and what's going on inside. And that actually is going to beat out, you know, the tech stack, I think in the end. Well, okay. So that, that was a question I was going to ask was, you know, so what do engineers want? Uh, I would imagine the tech stack matters to a certain extent, of course, because they want to keep their skills on target of what's current right. and keep their marketability up with the current trends in technology. But also there's all the other things that, you know, are certainly important as far as culture and mission of the company and uh, all the other factors. autonomy, autonomy, um, the ability to, you know, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that later, but, um, you know, autonomy and the ability to have like some degree of self-empowerment and to make decisions at times, even if you're an individual contributor can go a long way. If you're just, you know, the old days of the nineties sitting in rows and rows of engineers and you know, being asked to, to bang out a small chunk of code and that's your job, rinse, repeat. 
yeah, it's a different situation, right, than where we are today. So, um, yeah. Just curious, that, like, not that the technical stack is the end-all be-all, as we just mentioned, but what are the technical skills that are in the highest demand these days? So I have my Python go, uh, like blinders on right now. So as far as I'm concerned, that's all that matters. <laughs> but, um, you know, we're one of the biggest Python shops in the city. Um, and the, you know, one thing I can address to your earlier question and being in one of the biggest Python shops in, in the city, probably in the Northeast, um, we already know them all, right? So like if, if you've got this community and you kind of know all the Python engineers, well, then what do you do, right? And, and you have to scale your engineering team. And so, um, there are different ways. Even this morning, I was I, I was with one of the engineering managers here, looking at a .NET resume. We are not a .NET shop, right. but the individual is a principal software engineer, incredibly talented, and you know we have done this. This is, in fact, that manager that I spoke to, I spoke to for a reason because he's an old .NET convert, and we have gotten to a new time now where engineers are multi-dimensional. They should be able to learn, convert on a dime. If they're not for our place, that's probably not a great fit. Um, if you are, uh, you know, dogmatically a .NET engineer, well, you know, it's probably not this place that it'll make sense for. But if you have some flexibility and understand that the language is just that and that it's the logic and uh, the assembly of your code and, and the efficiency and elegance, well, then let's have a conversation, right? So um, that's the way we like to look at it. And, but look, cloud technologies, anything tying into AWS, obviously, um, Open source has become kind of hip. Uh, we're definitely an open open source shop. I know a lot of companies are working on open source efforts now, probably to alleviate and crowdsource some of this stuff um, that we're talking about and some of these constraints on the market it tends to open things up a little bit from a contribution standpoint. So, You brought up an interesting point with uh, someone converting from one technical stack to another. During the interview process, how are you able to figure out if that person has the aptitude to figure it out quickly and get up and running. Oh yeah, uh, we spend a lot of time trying to refactor that um, and make sure that it, it gets to the to what really matters. Um, it is it's not usually depending, like if, if, if you're a hardcore Python engineer and you've been doing it for, you know, eight years, then we're probably gonna have a nice Python session. But the reality is per my earlier point, that might not be the case. So yeah, it's it's about logic, it's about not trick puzzles. I mean, we're not, we're not doing the ping pongs in the school bus. We're not doing, you know, manhole cover questions and of other absurdities um, from, from a decade ago. We're more about puzzle solving when it comes to different kinds of structures of code, whiteboard exercises, but it's incredibly interactive. It's not as interactive as it was when I was at Localytics. It's something we're toying with and continually have talked about for a year, which was 90 minutes of keyboard time in a fair way with whatever language you want. Here's the uh, exercise and here's the question at hand. Um, you've got full web access. Here's your login. Just go and, and put this code together and we'll see how far you get, which was kind of neat too. Uh, we got to see a lot of different interview processes over the years. That was a neat one. At Localytics, that's what they did? So it was 90 it was minutes. One, yeah, 90 minutes. Now that was an interesting interview. That was a one and done eight hours, well, seven hour session. So you would come for a full day, but you'd never, you'd never come back. It was, but 90 minutes of it, we'd, there'd, be, there'd be lunch too and, and things like that. But um, well, part of it was a 90 minute uh, session and you could use any language and 
Uh, I think they're still probably using it to this day, but it was incredibly uh, insightful as to like what you were bringing. You could use any language. So we had people that would bring Go, uh, other kinds of languages and try to you know work through our problem set. And there were five questions that we'd ask and we could see the elegance of the code construction and derive like, okay, if we, that was a Ruby shop. So we were like, we could kind of derive from their assembly of the code, how long it would take probably to get them working similarly within the Ruby on Rails environment that we had. It's definitely been a common uh, thing that I've seen with different companies, the movement towards a participatory type of conversation during the interview process, uh, especially with like product management user experience. Let's have the person come in. Uh, we're going to give them a problem to solve. And it's not that we're looking for a right or wrong answer. It's more of how do they think on their feet? And how do they participate in a group meeting and what's the interchange and the dynamics between all involved? So that's absolutely I'm assuming. And leveling and leveling. Um, you know, when you're in growth mode, you can do different things like think about where could this person could not would could they fit in? You start thinking about talent acquisition in the true sense of the term, um, rather than you know, the the rejection and weeding out of people. You touched upon a condensed hiring uh, or condensed interview process at Localytics. You've worked at uh, some great companies in Boston. What have you seen from a hiring process point of view around the Canon experience that's worked out well? I've seen just about every mishmash of interview structure. I cited the Localytics one a moment ago. Um, I feel like and we're, we're continually working on it here. I have a, po a blog post or something out on LinkedIn about interview process. If anyone wants to kind of think about how I think about it, um, and I do, I do put put it in this category. Wherever I go, um, whatever's in place, I'm usually brought in to help you know refactor it or to improve it or whatever, just with experience. And so I spend a lot of time on redefining, and but I try not to tinker with it too too much um, because in some ways the interview has come from a place that has roots in the organization and what's meaningful to the organization. So I don't like to scrap it, you know, or anything like that. Um, so I guess that's a commentary on how I see the importance of whatever is in place at the time um, and how it got there. But um, I think the essentials are for them to meet key stakeholders. I think the essentials are to go through if it's engineering and, and I recruit way beyond that now, obviously in marketing and lead a team now that focuses on everything from sales onward. Um, I want to make sure that the candidate can get a good understanding of our company based on the people that they met with. I bring them on a tour. My team brings them on a tour. We show them around. Um, and we walk slow so they can suck it in and kind of feel like, where am I? And I say things, I bring, I actually tell them, I'm bringing you around here so you can kind of feel what this place is all about. Because Localytics is very different than edX, is very different than monster.com and certainly different than Wayfair back in 2011, 2010, right? So as they choose from that buffet of where they want to go to work, right? Um, I leave that choice to them and I show them what this is and let them kind of have a, it's our job, I think, to make sure that they see us as much as we see them. So my answer to your question is really rooted in that, that kind of, that whole meaning of, of the, of the interview format. So our interviews are constructed with that equal time. Doesn't mean they always, they can't dominate the interview. We're still interviewing them, but we lace into the process ways for them to see us in different ways. It could even be the kinds of questions we ask them 
um, which will give them insights. And so the recruiters do a prep before any interview. You kind of tell them what they're about to see. I just did one two hours ago. I uh, sat down uh, with a great candidate and I told him who he was going to meet and what he might hear or might not hear. I gave him some things to think about during the interview and really engage. And I think that recruiter role is you got to do that. You're, you're a consultant. You got to think like that. And obviously, the you know what the company does is very important. So, what is edX? What what do you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the broad mission of edX is uh, bringing high quality education to everyone everywhere. All right, and the way we think we can do this is through building this online platform experience that people can. So, I'll make it very simple for the non-academics that might be listening to this. If you're at home and you're looking to upskill or you're looking for continuing education in a certain area, I don't know, maybe it's Python development. You can go on, we have multiple courses online to go sign up for. And these aren't like an hour or two. These are college courses. You're actually logging in online, streaming def uh, high definition video with the professors and you're working through tens of hours of, of um, content to get yourself into certification. So this is not just a quick uh, you know, set of YouTube videos. It's far more comprehensive. You log in, there's discussion chat areas that you can see and you can talk to other students. The way the platform was built, we can fit much more than even 300 people that you might see in your biggest college lecture hall. We can fit thousands of people. That's the kind of support structure that's been built on this product. So if it's Python programming, great. If it's uh, logistics, if it's supply chain management, if it's concepts and marketing, I think there's even an ancient art history course on there and thousands of others. I think there's over 10,000 hours of content at this point. If we get the product right, continuing quality education will be synonymous with going to edX. And if you go there, you'll see the way the screen is set up. There's a search box and you can kind of go in and you can tell them what you want to do. And we're building out an experience to take you what we call the learner on a journey to fill out all sorts of avenues within your within what you're interested in. Things you, you may want to get better for work. You may just have general interest that, that and that's the B2C play. There's also a B2B play that we're building right now. You know, only took so long for us to build out this kind of quality coursework with schools like Harvard and Berkeley and MIT and Columbia and Georgia Tech and others before the the big corporations were like, wait a minute here. You know, I'm spending, we're spending $5,000 per employee for continuing education courses. We get them on planes, we fly them out to seminars. We, so, so you're telling me you've got actual MIT professors doing supply chain logistics and I can get hundreds of my staff online to learn over the course of x amount of time from that level of so that's actually what we're working on right now and it's, it's a nonprofit uh that was founded by mit and harvard right correct both uh both seeded it and uh, we have a close relationship funny fact about edx that a lot of people don't know we're actually mit employees you've worked at some great companies that have established great employment brands along the way wayfair localytics now edX, what, what should companies be thinking about if they are just starting out and thinking about how to build up their employment brand? Yeah, I think the people part of it's really important, you know, and maybe that's my biased answer because I'm in the people function, but no, no, I can substantiate it. So um, I think that if you hire people that are dedicated to the work, that's great. There are lots of engineers that can write code. There's lots of marketers that can market. There's a lot of salespeople that can sell. 
in our case, this is the uh, the allegory, the analogy, or however you say it. Um, in our case, people join because they see a issue, an issue with higher education and they want to change it. Nine times out of 10, that's why you're coming to edX. Part of a progressive software shop. So that's the added kick and that makes it really good. But it's the, it's the fuel behind like the energy in our people so that when they're out and about in their t-shirts or we're at events or we're writing or we're doing whatever we're doing, um, they have that incentive. You know, they feel inspired. And, and, and so I think what I'm saying for other organizations is make sure the people join, ask them the question when the offer goes out or right before or in your pre-closing, uh, why would you do this? Which, which you should be looking for, recruiters, hiring managers, uh, whoever is listening, um, you're fishing for an answer about why they get the connection of your organization and, I don't know, society, a problem within society, a, a problem within, and it doesn't have to be education. Um, Wayfair fixed a pretty big problem with the delivery of furniture and making it easy, collection the limit list, and, and they rolled that out. And this is a really good story to tell there. And, and Monster, of course, solved a digital job board issue. They were the first, one of the first, right? And, and um, Localytics had some really great software on the back end of the mobile devices that could report back to app companies and solve a problem of who's opening our stuff, who looks at our push notifications. If you're into that, you'll say things like that when your recruiter asks you, um, what are you doing here? The net effect is you get a hive of people in your organization. They're all kind of thinking the same way and are all kind of interested in it. It didn't come because you gave them an extra 5K. It came because you're doing something kind of neat. The next part is actually getting assembled and doing things like writing, like speaking, like going to events, like getting around town and, and making networking, you know, these kinds of things. So, um, it's, it's the two that are required to actually launch your talent brand so that people know who you are and what you're defined by, kind of. And, and then you got to get out there. You got to get out there. You have to. That being out and being present in the community definitely goes a long, long way. Absolutely. Uh, so edX is 180 employees now? Indeed. Um, We've centered around engineering because of your unique background. However, in your role now, you lead a talent acquisition team that recruits across all functional areas within the company. What other areas outside of engineering are in high demand that you know, it's challenging to recruit for? Yeah, I think everything is challenging right now. I wish we were awash. And, um, you know, we certainly see resumes, uh, more of them in certain verticals than others, but uh, the specificity of like what we're looking for makes that more complicated. And so we have to scrutinize all of that inbound activity. Um, yeah, I mean, we're hiring in marketing, we're hiring in sales right now. Uh, we will, we're hiring in product. We have a whole other area of the organization I haven't even talked about, which is ed services. I mean, we can write all the code we want, but someone's gonna have to, uh, work with liaison and, and help manage the universities. And there's over 120 of them right now and get that content onto the platform in a way that's consumable. That's a skill set we hire for that doesn't live in, in the engineering circles. It doesn't live in this, this VC thing that we've been talking about here, uh, you know, uh, during this conversation. So um, we're hiring across the board. And I think what's interesting about edX is that we do have that other side of the house. It's not just engineering sales, um, a model that is 
pretty classic to most in this ecosystem. It is a complex business. Uh, you, you have consumers that are taking your courses, yet you have to create all this content and the universities have to produce it and it needs to be created on your own you know, YouTube-like back-end product of serving up video content on the web. There's, there's a lot of complexity around what you guys do. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's talk about edX as far as um, any unique benefits that you guys have or things that you use to retain employees or to bring them in. Oh, yeah. That's the, that's the greatest question. Um, and by the way, something interesting along those lines, um, I was just in Minneapolis two weeks ago at the ERE uh, conference. I presented there and uh, my topic was really about retention. You know, I'm sitting there in the middle of a talent acquisition conference talking about retention. And I actually wondered how it would land. I wasn't sure if, if this was pertinent or just something that was like Boston centric because we're all talking about it. Um, and happy to find out that it felt like, I mean, it's non-scientific, but it felt like 50% of the conference was talking about holding on to people rather than metrics measurement, ATS software, and all sorts of the other classics that you know, we used to go to these things. And this was heav a heavy dose of keeping your people and keeping them happy. And so that was great to walk into. Um, I, uh, I presented on this topic. It was really wrapped up in a, a conversation about culture um and culture development which is never ending by the way and the thesis that i had there was we as talent acquisition specialists as recruiters um we are inherently responsible for the disruption of the culture because you can't bring in all of these new people and think that they just like assimilate immediately they guess what they have their own no they have their own ideas they have their own backgrounds and things and perspectives and so getting it all to click together, you know, maybe rally around my earlier statement about cause or mission or whatever reason why they want to be a part of your organization is a kind of like a central focus point. But um, our very, our very presence here as, as recruiting professionals changes that dynamic on a weekly basis, every week at orientation, there's new faces with new ideas and you got to adjust for that and you got to pivot and you got to come up with new kinds of ways of uh, so we had, there's a number of tools. If, in the presentation, I went through at least 18 or something that are little ways to influence culture, which you're really trying to do. And you can do this through TA. In fact, I would argue that there's no one better because HR is sometimes too busy with other things that are going on from employer relations issues on through uh, procedural things, benefits, and other kinds of organizational design concepts. Um, but TA, we get to know everybody and we get to know them before they're actually employees. And we get all that information about what gets them up in the morning and what makes them happy. And you can actually use that to mold and shape a little bit of what you're trying to build because you got perspective, you know, um, and, and that comes through TA. So, yeah, that is definitely another hour. In fact, it's probably how long it was for me in ERE or pretty darn close. So we'll do that another time, Keith. But um, needless to say, focus on um programs empowerment a voice of the people galvanizing and rally cries um hearing people out trying to explain communication transparency like real transparency capital t um you know and and trying to do that that's that's the i think that's really key to retention well another topic i don't know if this was part of the conference you were at but it's certainly something that's very important uh diversity and inclusion uh, what's edx doing in relation to that 
Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 we do a lot of work in that area. There's like the things that we do overtly, like uh, the programs and the types of affiliations we have. We're big participants in She Geeks Out uh, and Jacqueline on my team, big proponent, advocate, and someone who's very active with SGO. Um, you know, there's other things that we do here. We use our internship program as a way to bring in diverse groups into our into our company. We use the university system because of its wide array of it's some in many ways does not map well to like the current state of the demographics within the Boston tech ecosystem. So we like to go into the universities and think earlier in a, an employee's life. And we make our relationships there. Um, and so the internship program, program has been incredibly powerful for us um, because we can look at different backgrounds, people earlier in their careers when they're in decision-making mode um, and show them other things that they might be able to do. Uh, and, and then we convert them into full-time hires. So it's an absolute, it's, it's, if I think a lot of people are doing it, we use it in this way because we think that the diversity of our company will help to change and inspire and spice up the kinds of products we're bringing to market with, with more perspective. You know? Yeah, that's great advice. Great feedback. How does one just in general get it? What's the best way to get their foot in the door at edX? Get your attention. Yeah, so, um, the, uh, the best way, so says the sourcing analysis, uh, which I ran earlier this week would be a referral. A lot of people come to work at edX because they know somebody. And if they don't know somebody, they know somebody who knows somebody. And so um, work your way in. It's a very friendly group and everyone wants edX. The neat thing about edX is that like everyone's into it. Everyone wants it to win and everyone is looking for some solutions to higher education because there are some systemic issues right now. So it's like, it's, it's something everyone wants. To, so the kinds of people that come to work here tend to get that and we're very open. We're active in the community. If you have a friend of a friend of a friend, find your way in for sure. I'll also tell you this, that um, people will just apply. The team I've got is extremely diligent. Um, we wake up in the morning, our discipline is to look through the resumes uh, when we get in, and all of them get a look. Uh, this is, is definitely one of those places where we have that ability. And I haven't really talked about like what we do and how that intersects with our outbound activities, because there's certainly not enough, not enough applies. Um, to fill all the positions here. So um, there's another answer in there somewhere. But um, for those that are looking to come our direction, um, those are the two best ways. So how do you evaluate talent if you open up a, you know, an email and look at a resume attachment or a LinkedIn profile? What are you looking for? Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on leveling. Um, I, I, am, I, I tend to subscribe to the 70-30 uh, model. Anyone who I've mentored, anyone who might be listening to this who uh, is a recruiter who I've brought up um, will know what I'm talking about. For demonstrated results, yes, resumes matter. Um, I do kind of look into pedigree to some degree, not because of any other reason than I know what other companies have they do inside. And so that gives me a little bit of vision into where they're coming from and what they might've done at that company. And so that might map well to ours. So that's what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of, um, you know, the other part is I look for, 
I look for that 70-30 split. Like, they're not going to take the job that's a 100% match. The A players already have that job. A players need a gap or else they won't take the job. So they need to actually um, look for a little bit of a learning opportunity so that they can, uh, you know, bridge their career goals and, and, you know, frankly, join your company to try and satisfy some of that. So um, I try to work a lot with the managers here. It's part of my own screening process as well. Um, but the idea being that you should satisfy the core competency. And then there's like some skills gap things that we may get the opportunity to work with you on. One question I like to ask everyone, because I think, uh, you know, just job seekers, they don't know what they're doing wrong to know that it's wrong. Are there any pet peeves that you have of things that candidates do that they should either stop or start doing? You know, uh, hmm, you know, the one thing that, that we see repeatedly, I've, this has been years of this, uh, probably since I started, recruiters serve an interesting role. We offer guidance to candidates, usually if they arrive and we get them live on site or on the phone call before they show up. You know, it's this balance between not give, you don't want to give them the answers to the interview. That's absurd, right? But you, you give them the construct like, hey, you know, you're going to meet with these five people and you're probably going to conceptually talk about these things. If you're wondering what kind of interview you're walking into, it's not a meet and greet. Hey, how are you? Hey, you're a nice person for four hours. There are interviews like that. But in our case, we'll have people come and we're actually working through it hard. We're working through a hard interview. And I will give them conceptually what they should think about and consider, maybe do a little homework on just enough to get them like in the right frame of mind without crossing the line. Right. Cause, cause you don't know where you're walking in. And it, it, it astounds me when people don't come in prepared, especially when we talk about those kinds of things ahead of time. I, we're, I even, I've gotten to the point now uh, these, as I get on in this, this career where I tell them, you, I'm not sure if you're considering this as important, but I'm going to tell you a few things that you may want to consider. I would highly recommend that you write this down. I actually have like double stamped uh, the importance of, of some of the suggestions. And again, this is not answers to the test. This is frame of mind stuff. You know, you're talking to the VP of product. Here's some things. You know, look, at, look, at, look at his background. Look what he's been through. You know, think about what we're doing here at edX. Think about like the vision and where we're going with the product line. You may want to focus in this kind of methodology or roadmap development. You know, consider it. Let's move on. Let's talk about this person. They're probably going to be wondering if you're a good coworker. You'd be in the trenches together. So think about culture. Think about, think about circumstances you've been in in the past where uh, you've been in a high growth situation. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll get to the interview. And I get in the feedback session and they don't, they don't get anywhere near. And it just so blows my mind. But anyways, uh, it, people will be people and that's, you know, we try to help and you know, we try to get, get the right fit. So. It's so true. Very true. Well, that's uh, that's absolutely great. Great advice. Well, Mike, thanks for joining us and sharing your many, many words of wisdom. This has been uh, an absolute pleasure. Uh, I always like to turn the mic over. So if there's anything that you want to promote coming out of edX, certainly feel free to do so. Yeah, absolutely. I guess a couple of statements. Um, obviously, we're growing. Uh, you know me now out there. If you're listening, you know what's important, kind of how I, I think about things. And if this resonates with you at all, you can just shoot me an email um, and a LinkedIn connection, and I'll be happy to do it. It's literally my job. Um, so so feel free. We're recruiting in, a multiple, in multiple areas. But I also have like a message for recruiters. 
Um, and that is to really work on your careers and really think about who you are in the market. Be really good at what you do. Dedicate yourself to being the best closer and the most ethical and think about how complete you are and how hardworking and what, where your time, your, how much you read. We didn't even talk about that today, but you should be reading. You should be reading about organizations. You should be, be reading about why organizations fail. You should be reading about those kinds of things. Really geek out. You know, you, you can come to work and, and sling through some resumes if you want. You can make good money. But you can be so much more fulfilled as a recruiter if you really get into this stuff. And so there's no reason you shouldn't. It's really fun. I've, I've gotten into it quite a bit. And um, that's my message, I guess, both to job seekers and, um, you know, recruiters out there in the marketplace. Yeah, there's so many great options for staying in tune with your industry, whether that's knowing the industry that you are focused on or just ways to improve your craft. Obviously, there's a lot of content out there, both written or in podcasts or like I consume a lot of uh, content on YouTube just listening to different conferences and it's just oh, yeah. options available so there's no excuse no edX recently made some major news in terms of uh, hiring Adam Medros the former yes. senior vice president of product at TripAdvisor He's joining uh, edX as their chief operating officer so certainly exciting times ahead. Indeed. I'm really excited. Um, Adam has a great, great reputation in the community. I'm very excited about his product background as, you know, we work through these early years here at edX and what he can bring to the kinds of things we're bringing to market. It's really exciting. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely. Obviously, I've had a, a chance to meet Adam. He's obviously amazing uh, and just goes without saying what he accomplished at TripAdvisor is, uh, is spectacular. And I'm excited to see what he accomplishes at edX next. Indeed. If you found this podcast interesting, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. We do have some other great interviews coming up that you definitely don't want to miss. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share it with your friends and colleagues. Uh, the more that we get the word out there about our Career Inspiration podcast, the better for all. And last but not least, don't forget to check out edX job openings. You can find them on their Venture Fizz Biz page. You can find them on their own careers page. Uh, so there's exciting times ahead. So definitely check those out. Thanks for listening. And Mike, again, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And we'll all chat soon. All right. See ya. That's our show. Thank you for listening. To propel your career forward, go to VentureFizz.com, where you can visit our biz pages for a virtual tour of Boston's fastest growing companies, check out our job board for listings of over 2,000 positions, and read about the latest in Boston's tech scene. Last but not least, please remember to subscribe to Career Inspiration by VentureFizz on iTunes, your podcast player of choice. And if you like it, please consider leaving us a five-star review. Have a great week, and no matter what, keep moving forward.